How are we doing? Are we okay? Okay, I'm, like Ben, we're so encouraged this morning to see some new faces with us today. So I thought just to break the ice, in case it hasn't been broken enough by doing that kids song together, um, I've got a question to ask you. And my question is, what is your favorite type of film? What's your favorite genre? I like that word, of film. If you could go to the cinema to see anything, what type of film would you see? So I'll give you a moment to think. If comedy is your thing, raise your hand. Ooh, a couple of comedies. If um, action and adventure is your thing, thriller, if you will. Uh, maybe the historic film, the dramas, the romantic films. Hmm. Now, this is the decider, really. Hands up if you will go and see a musical. Because I would. In fact, I have done many times this year. Hands up if you wouldn't. My husband's hand is firmly in the air there. Because musicals are something that we do not agree on. I love them. I love the singing and the dancing and the costumes and everything. I love it. We've had a few good musicals this year, you know, Greatest Showman, Mamma Mia 2. But Rob just doesn't get it. His question is, how does everyone know what to do at the same time? It's just so unbelievable that two people are talking and then break out into song. And they all know the same dance moves and they all know the same words. But I love it. I didn't care about that. That's a little bit of detail that no one needs to know. It's amazing. I love it when there's two people having a conversation and then they just break into song. And then before we know it, there's crowds joining them either side and they're all doing the same moves. And it just looks amazing. Because they do it all in unity. And that's what we're talking about this morning. This talking about unity. Unity is eye-catching. It's attractive, and it's beautiful to look at. So I thought maybe we could do a little bit of a practical demonstration. I think you've all been sat down far too long already. You've had five minutes on your seats, and that's too long. So when I was thinking about what we could do to demonstrate unity together, I thought Mexican wave. <laughs> that's where I went. Uh, so I'm thinking we could all demonstrate unity this morning by doing a Mexican wave. And I'm not talking sat on your seats like that. I'm talking up and down like that. If you're listening online, then I'm sorry, you'll just have to imagine what I was doing then. Okay, so I'm gonna start from this side, I think. Is that okay? No pressure, but you're gonna start our Mexican wave. And it's gonna be up off the seats, and then we're gonna filter it down there. If you don't know what the Mexican wave is, just do what the person next to you does. Just a second later, that's what it is. Okay, are we all ready? Yeah? Are we all, oh, everyone, stretch your neck, stretch your arms. Shake it out. Okay, oh, you're taking this seriously, I like it. Okay, are we ready? Three, two, one. Okay. Oh, it's beautiful. Hey! Mandy wants it to come back. We've lost the wave now. We have to... It, it's over there somewhere. But 
But unity is beautiful to look at. Guys, that was beautiful. That was definitely eye-catching. That was breathtaking, seeing you all work in unity together this, this morning. You know, the, the dictionary definition of unity is together as one. And that's definitely what we were just doing then, together as one. It means in synchronization, or to work together. If there's any um, mathematicians amongst us, you might know that unity equals one. Unity is interchangeable for one in mathematics. Um, but when I was thinking about what is the, the best example of unity that I can think of, what's the best representation, I couldn't think of anything better than God himself. God completely embodies unity. He's three in one. He's God the Father, the all-loving creator and provider, He's God the Son, he's Jesus, our friend, our saviour, and he's God the Holy Spirit. So that counsellor and that guide who's with us in the presence of God, who's with us all the time. God is these three different people, but all working together in unity to form one awesome God. And that leads me to think that if we're made in the image of God, as it says in Genesis, that we're made in his image, if we're made in the image of God who has unity at the core of who he is, then surely that means that we were designed for unity to be important to us too. That we were designed to have unity at the core of who we are too. And we do. We have unity. We have the gift of unity. And if you don't take anything else home this morning, my, my take-home message, maybe I shouldn't give it to you so early on, in case you decide to leave. Um, but my take-home message is that we are united in Christ. We are united in Jesus. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember that we are united in Christ. Jesus is the common thread that holds us all together and that binds us all together. You know, we're not just here because we haven't got anything else to do on a Sunday morning. And we're not just a social group or a, um, a, you know, a social action group or anything like that. We are here because of Jesus. He is the one who binds us together and gives us our unity. And um, one of the ways that the Bible talks about unity and demonstrates unity to us is through communion. And like Ben said, um, I don't know actually if you said it to everyone or whether it is in the meeting, sorry, but we are going to be taking communion today. We're going to be taking communion. Um, so one of the ways the Bible shows unity is through communion. And we all know if, if you've been in church for a while or if you've read about it, that communion um, is just the reminder, it's just the representation um, of what Jesus did when he gathered all his friends around, all his disciples were around at Passover. And Jesus knew at that time when he was sat with his friends having that meal that in a couple of days' time he was going to go to the cross and that he was going to die so that they could be saved, so that all of us could be saved. Jesus knew that. And while he's sat there in the, having this meal with his friends, he takes what's in front of him. You know, he takes the bread, and I think we might have this scripture on the screen. Um, he takes the bread, a little bit like this loaf that I've got here. He takes the bread, and he broke it. Have we got it there? Okay, don't worry. Takes his bread and broke it, so saying, this is my body given to you. 
and he has the glass of wine in front of him as well. And he takes the wine and he says, this wine is my, my blood poured out for you. When you eat this and when you drink this, remember me. Remember what I did for you. And that's what communion is. It's about us all coming together and taking that time, taking that space, just to remember who Jesus is. To remember what he did for us when he died on that cross to take away our sins so that we could have relationship with God, our Father. And when we're in that moment of taking communion together, when we're all focused on Jesus, that is when we have unity. We're all focusing on the same thing. We're all remembering Jesus. We're all adoring Jesus together. And we're going to get to that a little bit later on this morning. But actually, um, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, not our senior pastor Paul, um, he uses community, uh, uses unity. Um, sorry, he uses communion to show us unity in a slightly different way. And this is the scripture that we should have on the screen now. That's it. Um, so he uses 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17, which says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Which, when you get your head around it, is saying, when we eat the bread and when we drink the wine, are we not giving thanks for what Jesus did? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. We, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And we see throughout Scripture, actually, that Jesus refers to himself as being the loaf or being the bread. I think we might have a couple of scriptures to explain this. So John, 3, John 6, 35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to choose something to represent me or a food to represent me, I wouldn't go for bread. I'd go for chocolate or really nice cheese, or something like that. But Jesus went for bread because he was humble enough to know that bread was a sustaining life source, particularly at that time. So when Jesus describes himself as bread, we can go back to that scripture in Corinthians. And when it says, we who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf, we can say, we who are many are one body, because we all share the same Jesus. Jesus is the one that unites us. He is the one that takes us from being many to being one body. I particularly like it as well in the message version. If we've got that scripture, I love it in this. I'm sorry if I say I love, but I do love scripture. So I'm not oversharing it with you. Um, in this translation, it says, because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. So we who are many are one body, because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Our manyness becomes oneness. And when I think about this, I almost, I get the image of a football match, a, a stadium packed full of people. Now, I've only ever been to one football match, and that was Tramia Rovers Football Club versus Leeds United. And it was nil-nil. And it was raining, and it was cold, and it was only half full at Prenton Park. So it wasn't the best 
football match I've ever been to. But this year, I got hooked on the World Cup. And I, it was this year, wasn't it? It was this year. A lot has happened. And I just remember watching all of these stadiums full of people, full of crowds, all cheering for the same thing. And although there's thousands and thousands of people sitting on each one of those seats, it's almost like they are one body. It's almost like they've got a life and a soul of their own because they're all cheering for the same thing. They all want the same thing. They're all pursuing the same thing. And it's like even though there are thousands of them, it's like they are one. And that's the image that I kind of get as us as the church. Although there's, there's all of us in here and there's the wider church. It's not just our church. There's thousands of us, millions of us, but we are one because we are all cheering for the same thing. We're all rooting for the same thing, which is to love God and to love people. Priscilla Shira, um, I've got a quote from her, sorry, I'm not just saying her name. Uh, she says that unity does not mean sameness, but unity means oneness of purpose. Because isn't that the risk sometimes with unity and with crowds? We just think, do I bit here can anyone even see me you know you just get lost in a crowd but unity does not mean sameness it means oneness of purpose unity means that we don't lose our character we don't lose our gifts we don't lose those things that make us unique or our individuality it just means that we all have the same oneness of purpose. We all choose to pursue God and pursue loving God and loving people above all else in our lives. So just as God the Father is different to God the Son, who's different to God the Holy Spirit, they're all unique and different. We can have that difference and that uniqueness too, but we can still be united with Christ together. The other thing I love about this scripture, sorry Baz, if I can just have the message back up. If we read on, it says, because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, because, rather, we become unified in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are, but he raises us to who or what he is. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. There is no limited supply of Jesus. And the more of us who need him, the less of Jesus we get. It's not like Jesus is a a cake and you have to kind of count up how many people need a bit of Jesus. And then we have to slice them up. And however, the more people who need him, the less we get. It's nothing like that at all. There is no limited supply to Jesus. He is with all of us all of the time. He is fully with all of us all of the time. Ephesians 3:17 says that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So if you have faith, if you're a believer, then Christ dwells in your heart. Jesus lives in you. To dwell means to live. And you know, your life really changes when you live with someone. Um, I remember as a student, moving into halls for my second year. I was a Keele student, and I went, my second year, I stayed in Hawthorne's O Block, 
which sadly, or maybe not so sadly, is no more, because it was a bit of a dive. Um, and I remember moving in, and within a couple of weeks of being there, I, I came out of my room, went down to the kitchen that we shared, and there were dead pheasants on the table. Not in a bag or any, just feathers, pheasant on table, where I come to come and eat my lunch and prepare my food. And it took me a while, but we, we found out that actually some of the guys that we were living with, like this is what they did for, for fun. They were like planning to make this extravagant roast dinner, like they're students, but they brought home pheasants that, that they were going to pluck and stuff, and they were going to make this amazing roast dinner for everyone. That was their plan. But when you live with someone, you know, you can't not notice them. You can't not notice, you can't get away from them being there in your life. I remember when, well, maybe when I moved in with Rob, I think maybe you noticed me a little bit more than I noticed you because it turns out, and I'm very surprised by this, it turns out that actually I'm the messier one. I don't, I don't know where that came from. I was, I was shocked to find that out when we moved in together. Maybe you're just super, super, super tidy. Or maybe I'm just really, really, really messy. <laughs> But when you live with someone, you notice them. You see them every day. You're in continuous conversation. You're always there for each other. And that's what it's like. Jesus is living inside of us. Jesus is there continually. He's always there. He's always talking to us. He's always in conversation with us. He's living inside of us. It's not like we just represent Jesus, like we come and hear about him and then we have to do our, our best job of trying to relay that information and wondering whether we get it right because we're out on our own. He is with us all the time. He is living and breathing through us all of the time. And we are all united because it is the same Jesus that lives in me as lives in you. Jesus, like I said, is that common thread who holds us all together. We are all united in Jesus. And, you know, unity sounds like a really lovely thing. But actually, what does it look like to, to live it and to breathe it and to walk it? What does it look like to actually practically live in unity with one another? And I think there is a bit of a process to it. Um, and some bits are a bit easier than others. So I've just got a couple of points, a couple of steps in the process of unity that hopefully if we can um, become aware of, then we can get better at living in unity together. So my first step or the, the first part of the process is belonging. Belonging. You can't have unity if you're not part of the group. Belonging is that sense of this is home. And you might have had this sense of belonging maybe when you first became a Christian or when you first found a group of believers and you get that sense of this is where I'm meant to be. This is who I am. Or you walk into a church and you think these, these are my people. You know, this is my crowd. These people get who I am. And you can just have that moment where things click and you get involved and you start serving and you, you find your place, to use a phrase that we've been using all year, you find your place within that community. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, So then, 
you Gentiles are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are now citizens together with God's people and members of the family of God. You are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are now citizens together with God's people and members of the family of God. When I was, um, when I was praying about this morning, I just felt like that was really for someone today. I don't know who, but that you are no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but you are part of a family. You're no longer a stranger, but you are family. Maybe it's time to stop sitting on the edges. Maybe it's time to get more involved. I don't know who it's for, what it means, but you are no longer a stranger. You are part of a family here. And also, just as we've got all our new students and young adults visiting today, I just I wanted to say to you guys as well, not that you, not to twist your arms, that you have to come to this church. You have to, because you belong here. But to say, because... You know, because you are brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a home here, and you do belong here. This place can feel like home to you, um, because we're family, and you belong. We all belong together. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. We all belong together. And that's the lovely part. Because the second part isn't so lovely. The second part of the process is bearing. Remember I talked about all those things that make us unique and bring us character and uh, the differences that we don't lose when we have unity. And as amazing as they are, actually when we are different and we are individual and we have our own gifts and we have our own talents, then sometimes that means that we can rub up against each other the wrong way. That maybe things aren't always done the way that we'd like them to be done. And sometimes that can lead to a bit of conflict. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. In another translation, it says, make allowances for one another. None of us are perfect, although we like to think we are. None of us are perfect. We all have our failures. We all have our faults. We all have things that make us human. It's completely natural. But we need to make sure that we are bearing with one another, that we are forgiving one another in order to keep unity and to create unity. We need to cultivate forgiveness in our relationships. So that all that means is that we're deciding to say that actually, Jesus, I'm keeping you as the top priority. I'm keeping building your church as my top priority. And I'm not going to let a little argument or I'm not going to let that disappointment get in the way. We're ready to forgive so we can keep Jesus as number one. So that nothing else shifts that focus or shifts our eyes off him. And when we learn to bear with one another, when we learn to forgive one another, then we become healthy and we become ready to put our hands to good work. So belonging, bearing, and my my third point is building. You know, when, 
when you're with a group of people who all believe the same thing and who all have that common goal, who all have that, um, that end point in sight, then we get stirred to action. When we all have that end goal of seeing God's kingdom built on the earth as it is in heaven, and we all are living in community with one another, then that bounces off each other. We get stirred to action. We get stirred to, um, to put in our hands to work and to building. Nehemiah 2 verse 18. This has been a key scripture for us as a church this year. Uh, so this is where Nehemiah comes to the people and he, he shares his uh, vision, his plans that he's got to rebuild the walls of the city. It says, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, this is the people responding, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. You know, those people they, who are listening to, to Nehemiah, the people of the city, they they all agreed with what he said. They all shared the same goal. They all shared the same purpose. And because of that, they built that wall. <laughs> Miraculously, in record time, they rebuilt the wall of that city. They achieved something. They built something because they all had the same goal and the same purpose in mind. And in just the same way, having unity together us as a church means that we can achieve things that we couldn't, we couldn't do on our own. We can build things for God. We can build God's kingdom in ways that we can only do when we are united together as one body. So those are just a few thoughts, but belonging, bearing, and building. And I don't think these processes are mutually exclusive. I think sometimes we can be in all three stages at the same time sometimes. But all three are completely necessary for maintaining unity and for having unity as the body of Christ. Because we are united. As we read earlier on, we who are many are one body. We, um, we're not a club, like I said before. We're not a social group. We're not a group for any other reason than because we want to see God's kingdom built on the earth. And this is for us as this church, as Breathe, but it's also for the wider church too, for every church uh, on the planet, that we have unity because of who Jesus is. We are united in Christ. And that means when one of us celebrates, we should be celebrating with them. When one of us grieves, we should be grieving with them. We should be looking out for one another we should be looking after one another, not just to build that individual relationship with that person, but so that the body of Christ can be strengthened as a whole, so that we can be kept healthy as the body of Christ, ready to put our hands to the good work and ready to build his kingdom. So, like I said before, we're going to take communion together, and I've, I've left a bit of time to be able to do this this morning. So if I could ask the band to come up and join us, and maybe if I can ask the welcome team as well, if you are going to be um, serving us communion this morning, if you can take your places too. Because I've talked a lot about unity, but if it's just me talking about it, then that doesn't really show you much unity. <laughs> So I thought, what better response to a message on unity than by taking communion together?
And have we got the scripture for us, Baz? I'm going to read this to you. So Luke 22, verse 19 to 20. This is Jesus talking to the disciples at that Passover meal where he took the bread and the wine. And we'll we'll just read this together now. It says, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So when we take communion, we take the bread and we take the wine and we use them as as symbols to to focus ourselves in on Jesus. To take that time just to remember what Jesus did on the cross. Just to remember the fact that he was willing to die so that we wouldn't have to live with the consequences of our sin anymore. We remember and we give thanks together. And in that moment when we're all remembering Jesus together, our our manyness becomes oneness. We lose our individual focuses and our individual worries and our stresses because we all focus on the same thing. We all focus on Jesus. We are united in our adoration of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And then the band are going to play for us. And when you're ready this morning, you can come and take communion. We've got four stations dotted around. We've got two at the front, two at the back. Um, when you're ready and when you, you know, take that time to, to focus your mind on Jesus first and to get yourself in the right headspace. But when you're ready, come and join us in, in taking the, the bread or the crackers and, and a little bit of grape juice just to remember Jesus this morning. And in this time, as we're all focusing, as we're all remembering, as we're all worshipping Jesus together, we are united. We are one body. We are serving the same God. We all have the same purpose, just to love God and to love people. So I'm going to pray. God, we, um, we come to you this morning, Lord, just as we are. as the individuals that we are, God, in the, um, in the mess of our own lives and in the weeks that we've, we've all had as individuals, God, we come to you as ones. God, but as we fix our attention on you, Jesus, as we fix our thoughts on you, we become one body. Our manyness becomes oneness. God, I thank you that we have unity together. God, that you don't don't leave us to try and go through life on our own, but you designed us for unity, that you gave us a family of believers to be a part of, that we get to be a part of your body. And God, this morning I pray that 
for those of us maybe who don't yet feel like we belong here, that we belong in that family, that you would, that that would become truth to us and that would become real to us this morning, Lord, that we belong here. We belong in your family. God, I pray that you would help us to bear with one another. God, those times, we're sorry for those times, Lord, where we've maybe put our needs above that of the bodies, God. Help us to forgive one another. Show us where we need to forgive one another this morning so that we can focus on you. And God, help us to build together. Help us to build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, as we take communion now, we just focus on you. We worship you. We adore you. And as your body, we thank you, Jesus, for what you did on that cross.